Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. We know that anyone who professes Christ will be attacked. It comes with the territory. These days, it's even easier because of social media, and our ministry is no different. Yeah, our pages on Facebook and Twitter frequently come under attack from aggressive atheists with, you know, anger in their hearts toward our beliefs. They ask lots of sarcastic questions, and they end up surprised by what they get, which is usually intelligent answers followed by return questions that challenge the logic of their beliefs. One such question that's typical that they ask us is, how did you choose your God from the hundreds of other gods? Now, of course, that isn't a real question. It's meant to be an insult and to make Christians seem irrational. But let's put that aside and genuinely consider the question for a moment. Any thinking Christian should have considered this question and should have an answer. As with all things, the Bible can help with that. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it reads that the stories of the Old Testament were written for our instruction. And, as it turns out, the Israelites dealt with this very question. So let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Old Testament from the book of Joshua. Joshua said to the Israelites, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That was Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 16. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Okay, so first we're going to start out by using the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider SP, those two letters, which represents the speaker, A, which represents the audience, and C, which represents context of a Bible reading before attempting an E or explanation. Now here we see the speaker is Joshua. And if you remember, he was one of the two spies who had faith in God that the Israelites could conquer in the promised land. And he was the one whom God chose to lead his people after Moses died. Now, the audience is found in verses 1 and 2 of Joshua chapter 24, which reads, quote, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers. And then Joshua said to all the people and so on. As for the context, we find it at the beginning of Joshua 23. Verses 1 and 2 read, 
Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel. In other words, this is Joshua's sort of final farewell address right before his passing at the ripe old age of 110 years old. Wow. Joshua says some things that are critical to our lesson at the end of that chapter. Verse 14, You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. And then verse 16 says, But when you transgress the covenant of your Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods, and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Yeah, Jordan. And then we get into chapter 24, where Joshua moves the speech to Shechem and reviews Israel's history. Now, let's look at a few key points that he makes quoting God. First, let's look at verse 2, and it reads, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River, and the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor served other gods. Verse 3, Then I took your father Abraham and led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Verse 4, To Isaac I gave Jacob, and Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Verse 5, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, and afterward I brought you out of Egypt. Continue, Jordan. Yeah, verse 7, And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Verse 8, Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who live beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them. Verses 9 and 10. Then Balak, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. But in the end, he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. Verse 11. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and I gave them into your hand. Verse 12 and 13. Then I drove out two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you lived in them. You were eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Oh, yeah, Jordan. So what we see here is, is history, right? This is the context of the verses that we're studying today. It's very important to the topic today because, obviously, it's a very famous scripture that we're trying to break down, and we want our listeners to know that, you know, as, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the context is that Israel was looking to possibly worship other gods. And what we're going to learn today is, you know, there was reasons why they were trying to go in that direction, but then God puts a halt to it through Joshua. So now that we've considered the speaker, the audience, and the context, we're definitely better equipped to give an explanation for this. So let's break down our scripture reading, and I'll read Joshua 24, 14, and 15 again, just to remind everybody of the context. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me in my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. And before going on to some key points, Jordan, I just want to remind those of, those of our you know, listeners out there who don't have the scripture in front of them, those words, gods, are all with a little g. 
Right. So just to, you know, prevent confusion, there's only one God. Right. Right. All Christians, we know that to be true. But God still used the word gods for them as a judgment towards them, meaning you could worship something. It doesn't necessarily mean it's animated, it has life, or it has any value or power. But because you give it worship, it's a God in your life. So I just wanted, you know, our listeners to be able to make the comparison there. Yeah, it's really important. And it's ultimately what we're driving at. But you know, going back to sort of that atheist challenge and what we're looking at today, you know, let, let's put ourselves in this context where, you know, as you saw in the history that Joshua gave, they were, or, or it was actually God speaking and Joshua was speaking for God. You know, they were in Egypt and there were, there were lots of gods in Egypt. I mean, the Egyptians worshiped thousands, literally thousands of gods. There are wow. about 1,400 or so, maybe 1,500 that we know by name. And those are just the ones that we know about. And also, you know, the Amorites are mentioned. The Amorites were, were likewise polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. They had a whole pantheon of gods. So the Israelites have been exposed to many of these different gods, which they chose to worship, you know, at various times. And if you read the Old Testament, it's kind of that same story over and over again. They pick up strange gods. God gets jealous and, he, you know, he curses them instead of blessing them. And, you know, the point is that they had thousands of gods to choose from. And it seemed what their lives were like when they decided to follow those gods instead of the God, the capital G God, as you said. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me, Jordan, of today, you know, bringing it now into modern days. You know, obviously we don't walk around and, and have a name for every single God, though, you know, we love our brethren that are in, from the Catholic religion. There does seem to be some worship for the saints, obviously. In other words, that they are honored and respected because apparently they have the ability to intercede for us in prayer, that if we were to pray to St. Mary or St. Anne or St. Joseph or St. Anthony, that we could pray to them, and then they'll carry out that prayer because they're highly respected to God, and God will honor that, right? So in a sense, we do kind of dabble in that even in Christianity, unfortunately, but there's probably more obvious ones right under our nose that we don't even pay attention to. And, you know, just to name a few, for instance, our jobs, right? It's anything that we would put before our God in heaven could become a God in our life, whether you're a Christian or you're not. So yes, your God, your children, your wife, your spouse, your car, your money, you know, your hobby, your own body, whatever it might be. There's so many things today that the enemy disguises as, right. as you know, just small little things that are not important, petty things. But yet really what, what he's doing is He's finding ways for us to worship him through these other lowercase g gods. Right. We have different kinds of idols today, not the wood carved ones so much, but the things that you mentioned. And, you know, uh, and another point I wanted to bring out was compared to back then, you know, we actually do have a lot less choice pressure than they did. If you think about it, I mean, Egypt was the powerhouse of that day and, sure. and, and at one point sort of ruled the whole world and they had all these thousands of gods. So when they lived among the Egyptians, that was the dominant religion. Today, let's look at some of these numbers. You know, less than 6% of religions would fall into the type of religion that the Egyptians and the Amorites followed, meaning a pantheistic religion. Uh, only um, about a third of the world total is poly polytheistic if you count up all the many god religions, and most of that is Hindus and Buddhists, right? Fully two-thirds of the world believes in some version of the one god of Israel, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, totaling about four and a half billion people. So, you know, the, these, um, you know, and when I say that there's some version, they, they, all, they all teach, at least in, in one sense, the existence of a singular, personal, transcendent, pre-existent 
self-existent, omnipotent, sovereign, and eternal God. So, you know, and that's from gotquestions.org, our friends over there, by the way. So, I mean, the, the point, again, is that they today we have much less of a choice to worry about than even they did, and then we can look back to that and, and see what they did in those circumstances. Yeah, great point, Jordan. And, you know, also, our God has survived the test of time. True. And he has risen from the unknown as the God of the Israelites to the most well-known God in the world. That's right. Right? The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one that we pray through and worship through to get to God the Father. Which answers that question. Sorry to interrupt you, but that kind of answers that snarky question that the atheists have. How do we choose? Well, well, you know, today, you know, God is God. And most people, even people that don't necessarily believe in him or worship him, know who he is. Back then, it was like a, a small, you know, to the rest of the world, obviously. Um, he was he was unknown God of the Israelites, and he's risen to the number you know the number one God in the world, if you will, uh, if you want to look at it in that way. Yeah, so, no, that's that's great uh, research on your behalf. I, I I definitely see your point, and it's pretty obvious anyone with common sense could realize that. And I'm glad that you did bring out those those data points. I think it's really good for a lot of atheists out there that think that they could you know kind of harp on that one point. Well, what about you know all these millions of gods? And why are you, why are you choosing you know the Jehovah God, you yeah, know like, what like I mean? It's so, so confusing. It really isn't that confusing today compared yeah. to back then. And I think looking back to Joshua and the Israelites and how they dealt with a real situation of, you know, these powerful Egyptians and these Amorites who dominate these lands have all these great gods and they have great armies. Like, you know, so how do they deal with it if you really want to get into the deeper truths of, of our faith? And I think that's where we need to go next. No, yeah, it's a good talk. So I'd like to continue. I'm going to pick up in verse 16, 17, 18, the following verses. Um, after today's study text. And let's see how the people responded now to Joshua's choice here, him choosing God Jehovah. Picking up in verse 16, the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sights and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. Verse 18. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in this land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Yeah, so they're saying there that God had demonstrated his unique attributes. And, um, you know, the, the Bible says that Jews demand signs, and God had given them their signs in spades. You know, we, we, can, we can talk about that. Some of the things that were even mentioned in the history were, uh, were the great signs and wonders that the Jewish people needed to see to believe and, and stick with the one true God instead of all these other gods. Yeah, and ironically, since we're talking about the Jews, obviously, if you're a listener to our show, you know, we've talked about dispensational boundaries throughout the Bible and how God dealt with Israel back then, right? We're talking about the book of Joshua. And then eventually, during the church age, he grafted in the Gentiles and put Israel on hold for a little while, a few thousand years. But after the rapture, there's going to be a time again where God's going to deal with Israel for seven more years, which we know as the, it's going to be the seven years of tribulation. And for you theologians out there, that's the, the 70th week of Daniel. Right. That's prophecy spoken of in Daniel, in the book of Daniel. However, it's what's, the reason why I bring this up is that during those seven years, and maybe a lot of you Christians don't know this, there's going to be miracles that are going to be performed by the Jews and also by non-Jewish people. I mean, it's going to be kind of like a Cecil B. DeMille movie again. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Staffs are going to be turning into snakes, and then another snake's going to swallow that snake. 
you know, I'm being facetious, but I think you get it. Yeah, I think, uh, right. So, so what you're talking about is that, again, the Jews required a sign, but the, the parallel to that verse that we're talking about is that Greeks seek wisdom. So right now, at, we're in this sort of great parentheses b- before God resumes dealing with Israel. There are no signs anymore. There's there's wisdom, and Correct. and today is that era of wisdom. So exactly. So you know how do we how do we deal with that? Well, back like, like you know the the reason the point comes up and it's worth thinking about is I often read these stories about the Israelites and I say how could they have how could they lose their faith in the one true God and go back to these carved gods when things were constant miraculous things were constantly happening you know like I wish I could make fire come down from heaven right. in front of that atheist who's questioning you know. But we don't live in that era. We live in the era of wisdom. So what we have to do is think more about wisdom or the, um, the, the evidence of wisdom that we have. And what would some of those, what those things be that God is the one true God? My answer to that, Jordan, would be that right now, today, more people in the world have access to the Bible than ever before. Right. And now that the average Joe, like you or I, can do these deep studies— we're doing nothing but prove scripture upon scripture, line upon line, like it says in Isaiah, that this Bible made up of 66 books is actually ringing true when we're trying to prove it wrong. We only find that it actually proves itself right. And I think I once heard somebody give a number. It's like the, the percentages of, of trying to prove itself wrong and then finding out it does not is like one in a million. So, you know, it'd be basically easier, you know, at times to hit the lottery than, than trying to prove that the Bible is inaccurate, right? So as we grow in knowledge and have better access to the Bible, and, and the average Christian learns more and more about Scripture, we're better equipped of doing a deeper study, and not only sharing it and teaching to others, but also by doing that, we, we edify ourselves and we keep ourselves strong. And that's really why we have our ministry today. It's, it's why we have the Mysteries of the Kingdom, the 20-minute Bible studies, is because we have access and we're able to do these deeper studies, and we're, we're even able to learn the deeper truths, not just the milk, but the meat of the world, and, and that's a blessing to us and also to our listeners. Okay, great answer, Andy. Um, returning to our text, Joshua wasn't quite buying what the people were saying. Verse 19 says, Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. Verse 20, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. So this is sort of um, negative evidence, if you will, of God's supremacy. You know, we count blessings, but we also need sometimes to count curses. And that leads to another question that maybe we can talk about, which is, you know, it's hard to say it, but sometimes when someone is experiencing troubles in life, that could be because they, they've forsaken God, and, and uh, that can sometimes be the issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, just to answer that quickly, I think we all can understand, you know, Christian or not, atheist or not, people call it karma, right? If you're like from the Hindu background. It's just common sense. You know, you reap what you sow. God right. shall not be mocked is the scripture. Right. So if we're going to, I hate to, you know, might be a little corny idiom, but you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. And that's, I think, what God is trying to say here, that if we, if we walk the evil path, we're eventually only going to hurt ourselves. So it's just God warning us. And, I, and again, it's with all people. You know, if you walk a righteous, a safe, uh, a good lifestyle, you're going to be okay, you know? But when you take those risks, even when they're, you know, I, I guess you could say evil in a way, certain things that people might choose, certain paths they take, you know, the, the risks are that you could hurt your own life and bad things can happen to you. 
Yeah. And uh, before we move on, I just wanted to also call out, you know, there's this idea of God being jealous, right? And um, I think people sometimes read that in an English way. To really get the essence of it, you'd have to go back into the Hebrew and, and look at the, what, what the Bible is trying to say here. But um, the real thing to meditate on is the parallels between idolatry and adultery, right? So basically, idolatry was cheating on God. You know, the, the, Israel is called the rebellious wife of, of God, right? Because she was constantly cheating on her husband. So um, without getting into a side tangent on that, we con- you know, when you see that word jealous, that, that's really what it's saying is that, you know, obviously God, God knows that he's the only God. And when you go and worship something you made with your own hands or something crazy like that, he, you know, he gets upset just like a husband or a wife sure. would if their spouse were cheating on Right, him. because we belong to him. Right. And if, we're, if our eye is wandering to other gods, then he's going to be heartbroken. You know, I think sometimes, you know, people, husbands, wives, they might, the world is kind of made that. And I think that's, again, definitely from the devil, that they made jealousy in, when it comes to marriage, a bad word, that it's a negative connotation. It's a negative character to have. But if we look at it according to God and according to scripture, it's more his character than we give, a, give him credit for. Because when you love your spouse and they love you back, I mean, bottom line is if, if you know, someone is thinking of committing adultery, and then, of course, if there's that thought, jealousy comes in, right. you know? So, yeah, I mean, I understand God, and I think he's absolutely right to feel that way. He loves us so much, and he would never steer us wrong or hurt us. He, it, it breaks his heart to imagine that we need another God, that he's not enough to fulfill our lives, that what he provides as an awesome God it's, it's not enough to make us happy or that he can't answer our prayers or that he can't help us when we need him. And I think the parallel is where, you know, in life when you're married, for those of you who are married, you know that feeling too. You know, we, if you love your spouse, you couldn't imagine a day or even a minute where the spouse would think that you're not good enough for them and that they possibly would, you know, be looking for someone else to fulfill that, that emptiness that they might have. So, so I get it. You know, it makes sense. Right. Okay. So let's just jump down to our recap and takeaways. We're almost out of time. In today's story, we see Israel and Joshua, their leader, making a decision regarding the same question that atheists like to confront Christians with today. Why do you choose the God of Israel, the one true God, over the hundreds of other gods? And Joshua's main answer, the one he spent some time proving by recounting Israel's history, is summarized nicely in Joshua 24:14, which says, You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Amen. And you know, Jordan, we can answer the question the same way. We know in our hearts and our souls that God never fails. You know, we can think back to all the times when God has delivered us and those we know and love also were delivered. But you know, Joshua also has another simpler answer that we can also use. So to paraphrase our scripture reading, number one, If it is disagreeable for you to serve the God of Israel, choose for yourself which God you will serve. And point number two, but as for me and my house, if you ask me, we will serve the Lord. And that's really the bottom line. And that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I
Rich Reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.